This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. The book of Daniel, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, I've been in this passage, and, and I'll be honest, every time I get done, I think I'm done. I think there is possibly no way, shape, form, or fashion I can look at this thing any differently. And then all of a sudden, I get another idea. And I know that the Holy Spirit speaks to your mind. I know that. And I know the Holy Spirit guides your eyeballs, but He's been using people as you walk out. So Wednesday night, I brought the last message on uh, heaven's point of view in the fire, what heaven sees when you're in the flames of affliction. And I said, thank you, Lord, that I'm finally done. It's finally over. No more Daniel 3. I'm over it for a while. And lo and behold, somebody walked out the door and they said, I wonder what the devil sees when, when we're in the fire. And so this morning, I'm going to give you one more message on the fire on the fire from hell's point of view, what does the... Now listen to me. Nobody go out that door today and say, hey, have you thought about it from this angle? We're done. We're done with the fire. I want somebody to go out that door and say, next week I want you to preach on how to get rich in Jesus' name and let us move on to bigger and better things. Because hear me now, the more you preach about the fire, the more you hear about the fire... The more you go through the fire, the more the devil's going to try to discourage you in the fire, the more God's going to try to prove you in the fire. In Daniel chapter number 3, I'm going to read one verse in verse number 5. It is an odd verse. Here's what it says in Daniel 3 in verse number 5. That at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music. Ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now I'm going to leave that verse up there because I'm going to refer to it several times this morning. But you've been here, or if you have not been here, you've been in Sunday school in any way, shape, form, or fashion. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And they are a picture of what happens when a child of God takes a stand for God and the target it puts on your back. We learn from the life of Job that when you stand up for God, you stand out for God. And when you stand out for God, you do not just garner the attention of the people around you. You don't just garner the attention of the God of heaven. But you also garner the attention of your adversary, the devil. Now, we have looked at this fire from every way, shape, form, and fashion. We have looked at the fire from the outside, looking in. We've looked at the fire from the inside, looking out. We looked at the fire Wednesday night from heaven's point of view, looking down. But this morning, what I want to show you is what happens when God puts you in a fiery trial. And what happens when the afflictions and the pains and the problems of life become so hot. What does the devil see? Now, before you climb on your Baptist horse and ride off into the proverbial sunset, you do know that there is a very real devil there is a real devil and he has real desires and he has real options and he has real missions in your life. And that is to destroy you. 
If you are setting out to walk with God, live for God, do everything you can to glorify God in your life, the devil knows who you are. And the devil is going to try to discourage that in your life. Now, brothers and sisters, what is it that hell sees when you're going through the fire? I'll give you four things that we see from Daniel chapter number 5. Daniel chapter 3 and verse number 5. The first thing we see from hell's point of view in this passage is we see what hell's purpose in the fire really is. Now, I want you to pay attention to verse number 1 of chapter number 3. It says, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. Now, I... I understand that. That makes sense. He'd been told in chapter number 2 that there was going to be a, a statue through history made up of a head of gold and a chest of silver and loins of bronze and iron legs of brass and feet of clay and brass and that the head of gold was his kingdom, that it would be the greatest of kingdoms. It would be the most wonderful of the kingdoms. And he took things into his own hands and he sets up this image that people were to worship. And then in verse number 2, he brings in all the governors and he brings in all the sheriffs and he brings and all the people around him. And he says, I want everybody to worship in verse number two. Now, I understand verse number one. And I understand verse number two. I even understand verse number three. When it says they all came together, what else are you going to do whenever the king calls you? I understand that. It all makes sense. Then in verse number four, it says that at the moment when the herald made the word, this is what he says. He says, whenever in verse number five, when you hear the music play, I want you to bow down and to worship the golden image. I understand that. Everything in the Bible about that up to this point, I understand it. Verse number 5 is where it gets a little hairy in my way of thinking. Watch what he says. He says, when you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dog. Time out. If I was writing the Bible... Don't you think it would be wiser just to say, when you hear the music play, bow down and worship? But he went so far as to name six specific instruments. Why was he naming six specific instruments? I'll tell you why he was. It was a very simple reason. Because these instruments had a direct correlation to the types of instruments that were used at the worship of the temple in Jerusalem where the Jews would worship Yahweh. There were specific instruments that had been set up by Solomon and David that had been reinstituted by Hezekiah and they were to worship God in a specific way. And the reason that Daniel here says when you hear these six instruments is because Nebuchadnezzar wanted to give them a sound that they were used to but something that was altogether taking their mind in a new direction. Let me give you that in an illustration. Do you notice what the first instrument that's named? Now I'm going somewhere. Don't jump off the wagon right here. Here's the first instrument he says. He says when you hear the sound of the cornet. What is a cornet? A cornet is a trumpet-like instrument. In fact, it's so similar to a trumpet that people that play the trumpet also will play the cornet most of the time. Now, in old Bible days, they were very, very similar, except a trumpet in Israel, the type of instrument used, it wasn't called a trumpet. It was called a shofar. And a shofar had a very specific place. 
Now, a shofar and a cornet. A cornet was used in Babylon, and a trumpet was used in Israel. They look similar. They sound similar. There is only one main difference between a shofar, what the Jews used, and the cornet, what the Babylonians used. Here's the difference. A cornet that the Babylonians used, it came from the ivory tusk of the African elephants. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had sent emissaries down into the African countries to make peace with those nations. And what he had done is they had given him gifts of ivory tusk. Now, those ivory tusks had a beautiful look about them, and they had a beautiful sound about them, and they were worth a lot of money. But here was the problem. What was the purpose of a shofar. A shofar was a trumpet that came from the horns of a male ram that had been sacrificed in the temple worship. And every time that that trumpet would sound, every time that that, that trumpet would blow, it was a symbol that a lamb had died. A lamb had shed its blood. A lamb had its blood sprinkled on the mercy seat. That a lamb's blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat was sprinkled there so that our sins were covered and cleansed and washed away. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, I'm going to give you something that sounds similar, but I don't want you thinking about that blood anymore. I don't want you thinking about that shed lamb anymore. I don't want you thinking about that mercy seat anymore. I don't want you thinking about that Shekinah glory anymore. I want your mind to be worshiping my things. I want your mind to be worshiping my way. And I said all that to say this. There is a twofold application to be made right here. Number one, here is what the devil is trying to do. The devil knows that worship belongs to God. The devil knows that our worship belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there in Isaiah chapter number 14 when the glorious angels of heaven were floating around the throne of God seeing the Father seeing the Son seeing the Holy Ghost crying holy 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 is the Lord God of hosts he wanted that praise he wanted that worship and he made the sevenfold I will statement in Isaiah chapter 14 verse number 12 and 13 he said I will ascend up to the throne most high, I will make my throne higher than the most high. He wanted that worship. And the devil today, he still wants your worship. He still wants your praise. He can't stand it when you lift your hands to the Lamb of God. He can't stand it when you lift your hands to the Savior of mankind. He hates the fact that the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has been shed for my sins. You see, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. All God's children are sinners. But there is a Savior. And through the blood of the atoning Lamb of God, you can be born again. You can be saved and have your sins washed away. And the devil hates it. But here's the deal. He don't want to change the scheme too much because he knows in the human heart we know something ain't right. But if we get to thinking about that blood too long, we'll start hunting a Savior. So he gives us something like that elephant tusk that looks enough like it, sounds enough like it, but we don't go searching at the lamb that died to give us that melody. Brothers and sisters, let me say this right now. 
you do realize that the devil cannot stand it when you worship Jesus Christ. He doesn't care if you go drink. He doesn't care if you go out and flaunt around. He doesn't care if you go out and gamble away your life. He doesn't care if you shack up everything that's around. But the very moment that you set out to live for Jesus Christ and you set out to bow your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and set out to live that Christian life, he despises it because now your worship is being pointed to the Lamb of God and now your worship is going toward the God of heaven and he cannot stand it. So what will he do? He'll put fire in your life and he'll put affliction in your life and he'll put problems in your life and he'll put issues in your life and he'll put things in your life that take your attention off of the Lamb and put it on the things of this world. Can I tell you something? God Almighty has got one goal for your life, for you to glorify Him with every fiber of your being. The devil's got one goal for your life, for you to glorify anything with every fiber of your being except the God of heaven. That's why you can do everything you want to do, and you'll be fine. But the moment you set out, and am I preaching to anybody right now? The moment you set out, To live for Jesus Christ. Fire will come in your life. And can I just hunt me a rabbit right quick? Is it any matter to anybody else that when you come to church, you got problems? But when you get in it, you really got problems. Does anybody else not find that on the Monday following the Sunday when you get down on that altar and beg God to give you a burden, real problems come. Now, everybody comes to church. I get that y'all are all here. I get that people watch online. But when you really get in it, I love watching. Sometimes I like sitting up there because I like watching people. I love watching them people I can see the Holy Ghost getting a hold of. Yeah, I do. And some of you right now are sitting on your hands because you're afraid he's going to get a hold of you. I can't wait until that old-fashioned Holy Ghost, Bobby Pin-wearing, saying of God, Nazarene, snot-slinging woman, gets full of the Holy Ghost and starts going to town around you. I can't wait. Here's what's going to happen. I love watching those people that do this. Everybody else around you gets to lifting up their hands. You'll, you look like you're ordering a milkshake at McDonald's. You don't know what to do. You don't know in and out. You don't. And here's what's always amazed me about those people that really start getting into church and they start getting into the worship. All of a sudden, they'll be gone for two and three and four weeks. And I look at them and I used to get mad. I used to say something like, what a hypocrite. I cannot believe that hypocrite would lift up their hands on one Sunday and not even come back the rest of the Sundays. But I've been doing this long enough now where I'm starting to see what happens. You see, you're not the only one that saw you lift up that hand in the sanctuary. You're not the only one that saw you get down on that altar in the sanctuary. You're not the only one that saw that commitment you made for the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil saw it. And then what he did is he set the demons and devils of hell against your life. And he said, wait a second. I've been watching that child worship the demons and the things of this life. I can't lose his worship. I can't lose that praise. We can't give it to God. So he'll set hell against you 
and put fire in your life because hell's purpose is to steal the worship that you're given to God Almighty. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you, the only way to get the devil to leave you alone is keep worshiping. The Old New Testament says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So you know what you do when you feel that coming against you? Lift him up again. What do you do when you feel it coming against you? Bow your head and pray again. What do you do when you feel it rising against you? Get on the altar again. What do you do when you feel it coming against you? Just keep worshiping. Just keep praising. Just keep glorifying. Just keep walking. Just keep talking just keep singing just keep shouting just keep going resist the devil and he will flee from you that's hell's purpose number two let me talk to you if i can about hell's pressure you see when you look at the fire from hell's point of view you see the way that he operates now listen nebuchadnezzar didn't just say y'all bow down and worship now you hear no that's not what he did The first thing he did is he put a giant golden statue out in the middle of a field. Now, I got to thinking about this yesterday as I was writing some of this down. Can you imagine, how many of you have ever been to the Middle East? If you've been in the military, you know what I'm saying. There ain't many rain showers. The sun shines all the time. Can you imagine what it looked like when the sun hit that 90-foot golden statue. Can you imagine how intimidating that had to be? But that wasn't all that he did. Then he said, everybody's going to be bowing. There were probably 250,000 people out on the plains of Dura that day. Everybody bowed but three boys. Can you imagine what that felt like? I imagine it probably got worse whenever the people brought him before the king. Can you imagine looking, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being brought before Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar looking at them saying, maybe you didn't hear me. You don't bow, you will burn. And then can you imagine when they say, I don't care what you say. We ain't bowing. Heat it up, boys, seven times hotter. Can you imagine what they thought when they saw those flames lick up into the sky? Here's the point. The devil doesn't just send one problem your way. The devil sends problem after problem after problem. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all are listening right now. After problem after problem. After problem, I said it this morning, I'll say it again. We've got the idea that the devil is a chainsaw adversary. He takes one swift swipe and chops it around. That's not what the devil is. The devil is a vice grip adversary. He slowly turns the wheel of pressure in your life, slowly turning the pressure up through problem after problem after problem after problem. And finally, like that vice grip, he finally grabs a hold of your life and he just keeps applying the pressure and applying the pressure and applying the pressure. Let me put it to you where you can understand it. It's not just one problem that comes against you. It's the problem you get over today only to find tomorrow brings another problem. It's one doctor's report you get over only to find tomorrow brings another one. It's one problem in your family that you get over today only to find out you got another one. It's one depressing day that you get over only to find you got another one. You see the devil 
people's lives, what he does is he comes against you day after day after day, moment after moment after moment after moment, thought after thought after thought after thought, weekend after weekend after weekend. He never lets up. He never lets go. He never stops at pumping. He never stops at priming. It's always fear. It's always issues. It's always something. And you look and you say, God, what do I do? Tell you what you do. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do before the idol? They stood. What did they do at the base of the idol? They stood. What did they do when everybody else was bowing with the music? They stood. What did they do when they got before Nebuchadnezzar? They stood. What did they do when they got thrown in the fiery furnace? They stood. Ladies and gentlemen, I remind you right now, it is not your job to deliver yourself. It is your job to keep on standing. It's not your job to fix the problem. It's your job to stay right in the problem. It's not your job to turn the world upside down. It's your job to do what you can do. And when you do what you can do, my God, I feel Pentecostal right now. When you do what you can do, God will do what he can do. And when God does what he can do, you'll be glad you've done what you can do. All you've got to do in the pressure campaign of the devil is stand 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 brothers and sisters I remind you right now fighting the devil ain't fighting fair there are no rules what does that mean that means he'll think make you think thoughts about your family he'll make you think thoughts about your kids he'll make you think thoughts about other believers he'll make you think thoughts about your job He'll make you have mindsets about oh, the devil doesn't play fair and he just keeps that pressure on. When you look at the fire from hell's point of view, you see the pressure. Number three, you see hell's party. Can I show you something I showed the earlier service at verse number 25? Watch what the Bible says in verse number 25. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Lo, I see four men. Time out. Let's not blow past that. Now we've all shouted and glorified God that he saw four men lose. But you know what we don't pay attention to? We don't pay attention to those two little words. I see. Can I ask you a question? Why is he looking in the fire? Have you ever stopped thinking about that? If you take a dry piece of wood and throw it in a fire, unless you ain't got nothing to do, you don't stand around and see it burn. You let it go in the fire, go about your business, and come back and see the end results. Why? You know what's going to happen. If you are one of those people that stand around that love to see stuff catch on fire, you got problems. You got problems. Brothers and sisters, I got to thinking. He threw in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he just stood there and watched. There's two reasons he did that. Number one, he was sick. He was a sick, sadistic puppy. He wanted to hear them scream. He wanted to watch the flesh melt off of their bones. He wanted to finally see them bow. He couldn't get them to bow on the outside. 
So he was going to throw them in the fire, Brother Tim, and make them bow on the inside, and he was going to laugh all the way home. I wonder what he thought when not only did they not scream and holler, but they got to laughing and worshiping. My kids are getting older now. Mason's 12, and he's taller than his mama. He's about up to my chest. And I mean, his little thigh, son, he's a, he, he is a hoss. Now, I'm, I don't know how big he's going to be, but I'm going to be honest. Can we talk right here, just me and you? It hurts my hand when I whip his tail. Like, it hurts. And if you don't spank your kids, you ain't got to tell us. We've been to Target. We know who you are. But we know. When, I, when Mason was a little boy, I, I, listen, I know more than just had to pop him right on his little diaper. And I mean the terror. I mean, he turned around. He thought a tsunami had hit him. He had no idea. I will never forget about two years ago, 10 years old, he's in the fourth, third, fourth grade, something like that, whatever it is. And he had done something, said something to his mom. I don't remember what he did. I came up behind him, and son, I SpaceXed him right into another atmosphere. And he turned around and laughed. There was an anger. All you daddies know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You won't admit it, but you know what I'm talking about. There was a rage that settled into my soul. There was this shock. This boy had ruined my party. Ruined. I couldn't believe it. What I thought was going to break his will. He turned around and laughed at me. And this is what I got to thinking about that. Now, don't be taking that and applying that and calling social services on me. You know what I'm talking about. Here's what I got to thinking. I wonder what Nebuchadnezzar thought when he looked in that fire and them three boys just turned and looked at him and went, I bet the rage hit Nebuchadnezzar's heart. I bet he thought, wait a second. I thought those flames would tear him to pieces. I thought those flames would make him bow on his knees. I thought those flames would keep him out of their, my path again. But now they're just laughing. Here's what I'm telling you. Every Sunday, every morning, every night, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whenever the devil throws those problems in your life and you look back at him and just smile with the joy of the Lord that's in your heart and you just keep lifting up your hands, raising them to the heavens. I bet that sends a rage inside of his soul. I bet that sends a rage inside of his heart. And I'm telling you right now, the quickest way to get the devil off of your trail is when the problems come and the pain comes and the situations come. Lift your eyes to the God of heaven and say, Lord, I just want to thank you for being good to me. I want to thank you for blessing me. I want to thank you for what you're doing in my life. I may not understand it. I may not be able to comprehend it, but I want I want to bless your holy name. I promise you, you will send the devil into a place he rarely 
ever goes. Because when people smile in situations that ought to make them cry, he can't stand it. I'll give you the second reason why I think they watched. When they threw those boys in that fire, I'll tell you the real reason I think they watched. Is because when they went to throw the boys in the fire, do you remember the ones holding them? What happened to them? The fire was so hot, they fell down dead at the doors. But guess who didn't die? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And do you know what Nebuchadnezzar said? I better watch just in case. I better watch just in case. Can I ask you a question? Has your faith in God and what he's doing in your life, has it taken the devil's idea for you from a sure thing to a just in case thing? You know those situations where back there that ought to have crippled you and ought to have destroyed you and ought to have taken your faith in God away, but you just kept on standing and you kept on praying and what should have made you a certain casualty. Now the devil's saying, I better hang around him just in case. Son, I imagine he looked in there and I imagine he was praying to his little God saying, I pray to the God of fire that you burn those boys up. I pray to the God of fire that you burn their boys up. I pray to the God of fire you burn them boys up. God, burn them boys up. He was absolutely doing everything he could to make sure. But when he looked in that fire, look at verse number 24. Watch what it says. It says, and he answered, and the king was astonished. Do you know what that that means it means he was shocked it means he couldn't believe what was going on ladies and gentlemen I want you to live your life in the fire that you're in in the problem that you're in in the pain that you're in in the situation that you're in I want you to live with such joy in your heart and a smile on your face and your hands lifted up high that the devil cannot figure out what's going on in your life brothers and sisters I remind you right now Here's what you've got to get in your mind. You ready for this? If you're ready, say hallelujah. Hear me now. The devil doesn't know the future. He's not omniscient. He does not know what tomorrow holds. Therefore, if something pops into your head about what tomorrow holds, it comes from one of two sources. Either the God that knows it or the devil that's trying to make it happen. Now, is it God? When you have ideas about, and, and put it like this. Have you ever had this? Well, if I do this, then that's going to happen. If I do that, that's going to happen. If I say this, this person's going to do this. If I do that, that's going to happen. Then this, and all that. That's either coming from one or two places. Is it God or the devil? Is it God? Well, here's the thing. God ain't going to tell you what tomorrow holds. Because if God tells you what tomorrow holds, you don't have to have faith in the God that holds tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? If God told you what was going to happen tomorrow, you would not have faith that God can handle it. So therefore, what the devil does is he puts all these thoughts in your head, hoping, praying that you will act out those thoughts so that he can manipulate your tomorrow. For instance... 
God will tell you, don't touch that situation. Don't mess with it. Don't deal with it. I'll handle it. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. And you'll have a thought. And it'll say, well, if I don't do this, then that's going to happen. If I don't do that, then this is going to happen. Why would God tell you to stand still over here and tell you to do something over here? Because it ain't God. It's the devil trying to manipulate the outcome. What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do? At the base of the statue? Stood. What'd they do when the music played? Stood. What'd they do in front of Nebuchadnezzar? Stood. What'd they do when they heated the fire up? Stood. It is not your job to figure it out. It's your job to keep standing. Brother Tim, I heard the story of this little lady. And they said about this little lady, they said she's the most positive woman that ever lived. In fact, she's so positive, I bet she won't even say anything negative about the devil. They looked at her and they said, ma'am, is that true? She said, well, you do have to admire his persistence. What you're going to find about the devil is it's a day by day by day thing. They turned around and asked that woman. They said, well, I just got a question for you then. Are you afraid of the devil? She stood and she thought and she thought and she stood and she looked at him. She said, you know, that's not really the right question to be asking. I'm not really so much worried if I'm afraid of the devil. The question is, am I living in such a way that the devil is afraid of me? And brothers and sisters, what hell has got in your sight, what hell's got in your mind through the fire and the furnace that you're in is he's wanting you to turn your eyes off of Christ.